This is Inside Inkeeping, a podcast from InPartners on the ins and outs of the inkeeping industry. Here's your host, Megan Smith. Hi, I'm Megan Smith. I'm a consultant for the travel and tourism industry. And this podcast series came about as I was working with a client in Partners in beautiful Brattleboro, Vermont. And we decided to do a series of podcasts for potential innkeepers, current innkeepers, and guests of inns that might be interested in a little insight into the crazy world that innkeepers live in. Personally, I was an innkeeper for 13 years. My husband and I owned and operated the Vermont Inn in Menden, Vermont, which was an 18-room inn with a a fine dining room. And we had a wonderful run, raised our two daughters there, and have nothing but fond memories of our time there. So I'm going to be interviewing innkeepers from all over to talk about different topics that are relevant. I found as an innkeeper, the most valuable time that I ever spent was with other innkeepers, sharing information, sharing heartache, sharing funny stories, but just sharing information because it can be a very isolating business. Recently, I attended a Vermont Inns and Bed and Breakfast Association meeting, which is what this whole podcast series came from. So I'm going to be interviewing innkeepers on different subjects, and I hope you'll tune in because they all have a great story to tell. So I'm here today with Leslie McKayhe from the Rabbit Hill Inn in Lower Waterford, Vermont. Leslie and her husband, Brian, have been the innkeepers of the Rabbit Hill since 1997, after serving as assistant innkeepers for three years. Leslie and I have had many conversations over the years about what it takes to be an innkeeper, and clearly they have it figured out. Rabbit Hill Inn has won more awards than I can count, but they include a rating of top 12 inns and bed and breakfasts by bedandbreakfast.com and Condé Nest Traveler in the World's Best Awards. Thank you so much for joining me today, Leslie. And I um, want to speak today to prospective innkeepers. And I know you came up with a wonderful name for this session when we originally started talking about podcasting. And you called it, It's Not About the Muffins. Exactly. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, this, is, this has been my favorite little line because through all the years that we've been doing this, a lot of people ask us why we've done this, why we chose to do this, what are you doing here? And then we've hosted a lot of people who are considering doing innkeeping. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of scoping it out and they're talking to people. And I always ask them, why do you want to do this? What makes you so interested in doing this? And I have had the most hideous answers. It makes me crazy. I've had people say, because I make fabulous muffins, everyone says so. I make them for everybody. I sell them and and this is, you know, and this is what I want to do. And I thought, okay. I've had people say, because I have an amazing antique collection. I've had people say, because I love gardening. I had one woman say, because I love decorating with dried flowers. All, I mean, I could go on and on, and I'm thinking, you people are never going to do these things, okay? Make your wreath, because when you, it's done, when you get to the innkeeper, you know, you're going to be putting down that glue gun. You are not going to be doing these things. And it's not about the antiques, because now all of a sudden you feel like you want to display proudly. You want to have a shrine to what you have. I don't know. Um, but no one ever mentions that they want to care for people, take care of people. Which is Make- what what innkeeping's all about. It is what it's all about. It's really, mm-hmm. that's what it is. 
and very seldom do I have, I don't, I can't think of anybody who ever said anything about people or guests in their answers ever. Well, so I think it's interesting, you and I, so I was an innkeeper for 13 years and I came at it from a perspective of was in the hospitality industry with my husband. We, he took five years off to take care of our children. It was time for us to, him to go back to work. And a family member suggested we become innkeepers. They were coming to Vermont, staying in inns and said, you know, with your background and your business acumen, you should do that. So we went at it from that direction. So tell me how you and Brian got to the place you are today. We, I will give you a nutshell because it can get lengthy, but so we're in Rhode Island where we're from and we've always been, we were uh, in the corporate world and we just knew that we hoped that at some point we could do something together and we always wanted it to be something that mattered. So um, over time, we happened upon the Rabbit Hill Inn as going as guests for an anniversary, Mm -hmm. found it out of a library book when, remember when people used to go to libraries to get information? We called a bunch of places. You wait for the brochures to come because you had to wait those seven days for the mailbox, right? And you put them all out on the kitchen table, and then you start calling the places, and you start talking to them. And I spoke to Maureen, and I thought, this is kind of the furthest drive out, but she sounded so nice, you know? I think we should go there. So first in, no one in our world and our social world had ever been to an inn, so it's not like someone said, oh, you got to check this place out. We were green, as green as you get. (laughs) So we go, and we had a fabulous time. It was two days. It was two days, and it was at a very important part of our lives at this point because Brian had been out of work for a while because of downsizing. The um, Rhode Island was going through an economic um, downfall. He fell into that, and it was really painful for, for him. So that was a stress. Going away was not something that we really should be doing, but we had been working so hard at keeping our stress level down and stuff. I said, it's our anniversary, two days, we'll figure it out. So we went, and it changed our lives without realizing. Um, Met the innkeepers there, John and Maureen. They became very dear friends of ours. Met other guests there. I'm like, oh my God, people go away and actually interact with other people. Mm -hmm. This is really cool. About a month after we left there, And actually, before we did leave there, I'll never forget this. We're checking out. John McGee handed us a mug out of the gift shop shelf, put it in our hand, and he said, don't ever forget us. Things are going to turn around. So a month later, he got a job, and it did turn around. It was amazing. I'll never forget that. Look, I'm getting choked up. (laughs) Well, John was a very special, intuitive, very intuitive man. Yeah, and he knew because we we told him, this is what Mm -hmm. you do when you go to inns. You you talk, and you're right. So he knew our deal. So that was really interesting. Over time, frequent visits, we became friendly with John and Maureen. And they, behind the scenes, were looking for another couple to help them manage the inn. And unbeknownst to us, they were thinking of us. We got the bug. And here we are sitting in Rhode Island going, oh my God, maybe someday we could do that. You know, how do you do that? How do you even go, how do you approach this? And so we came together and had a conversation and we ended up being their assistant innkeepers. Sold our house in Rhode Island for a loss. Packed up the cats. Tried to explain to our parents why we were going to Vermont. My little Italian mother's looking at me going, is this what I sent you to school for? So we went. And our life has been very different since Well, and then. I think I want to get to, because I think, you know, we're hoping to reach potential innkeepers with this particular podcast. And I want to get back to 
how you converted from being the innkeepers to deciding to purchase, because I think mm-hmm. that's an interesting story. Yeah. But I think you know, I'll share a little bit about my our coming into innkeeping. I saw an ad in a magazine for Oats and Breadfelt, now in Partners, but they were doing these seminars uh-huh. for potential innkeepers. And it was a big investment. Not a huge investment, but it was an investment. Uh-huh. So we talked about it. I called and spoke to Bill and Haida, and we finally took the plunge. That was in November. And literally by May, we had moved to the Vermont Inn. They matched us up. It was the one and only inn we went and looked at. It matched what we came out of the seminar saying, this is what we want. And it was that they were representing the sellers and together we put together a deal. So Mm -hmm. it was very interesting because we, for us, it was very much a business decision and we wanted to raise our children in Vermont. We wanted to be able to ski every day that we could. And so we came at it from that direction. What I love about your story is that I stayed at the Rabbit Hill Inn when you were the assistant innkeeper, and you could tell how much you and Brian loved the place, even before you owned it. Mm-hmm. But why don't you talk a little bit about when it, when you transitioned to being the innkeepers, how that process worked? Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, we went to the Oats and Breadfell seminar, too. John insisted on it before we packed a box. He said, you need to go and do this. You need to have an understanding more than what we're telling you. So we went to that, too. That oh, was, you did? Yeah, Good. Yeah. So now the McGee's decide that they do want to retire and they want to move on. And after we went through the tears and the, oh, my God, and, you know, that kind of a thing, we, um, we had made a decision that we were going to purchase the inn from them. And because I think we did it because the inn became our whole world. Mm-hmm. We were already three years into this. We know the nuances of the property. We knew the guests already. It would have been a very seamless transition for such a successful business to have that because it can be very jarring from one set of innkeepers mm-hmm. to another when you have a, a guest population that's very um, attached. So that seemed to be a really good thing, successful for them and successful for the inn and successful for us. Um, so as we worked out all the details, it, it just seemed right to, to continue at Rabbit Hill Inn because it became our world um, because of those three years. That's not a common transition story. No, it's not. So, um, and then they tell people, well, you know, maybe you could go find a set of innkeepers, you know, and then work them into it. But it, it's, we come to learn over all the years that I don't know anybody who has a story like that. Um, I haven't come across any of it. No, yours, yours is a very unusual story. And I think one of the reasons the Rabbit Hill Inn is the world-class in it is today is because that was such a smooth transition. Mm-hmm. So often an in when you new innkeepers come in they want to it to be them, not the previous innkeepers because it's such a personal decision mm-hmm. and I have seen that not work. Uh when I, when we came into the inn the previous owners, Susan and Judd, became our friends. They actually are the ones that bought us the gift certificate to the Rabbit Hill Inn okay. for our anniversary. They became a part of our lives. And when the guests would come, they'd want to talk about Susan and Judd. They'd want to talk about their dog. Mm-hmm. And I never knew their dog. Yeah. We had cats. Yeah. But that's what people want to do. And we embraced that. 
And I think, you know, as we're sitting here speaking to potential innkeepers, that is a huge part of it. The guests are familiar with the previous owners and their rituals. And I remember talking to, you know, Judd Levy was who we bought the inn from about the people that came every year. And I wanted to know everything about them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'd even invite Susan and Judd up from New York on a week that a a long-term visitor was going to be there so that their first visit would feel familiar. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important. And that's why I think you, the Rabbit Hill Inn, even through the recession, even through times that other inns were struggling, you have just been on this trajectory because you didn't have those few steps back that so often inns have with new ownership. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, of course, we wanted to put our own Mm -hmm. um, stamp on, on the inn, and we have quite a bit. Um, we have quite a bit actually yes. over time, but it's been 20 years, you know, of solo, you know, three years with them and 20 years, we're going into our 24th year now. Um, so I can't say that we, on January 1st, changed everything. You know, we're not doing it this way anymore. We're not doing it that way anymore. I mean, it, we just eased into it. We liked the way it was. Mm-hmm. We evolved over time because of just curiosity, changing things up, making things, you know, a little different, go, we got to move with the times, you know, that kind of thing. But the guests, um, still never felt like we were shaving away those memories. Right. That's a perfect way to put it. Shaving away those memories because that to this day, and I've been out of my inn for 10 years and to this day, I will see people that I married or, you know, we'll be skiing and run into a couple that was married at our property. Mm-hmm. And their memories are clearer than mine in some cases yeah, yeah. Of, of what that in meant to them personally. Did you know that over 80% of travelers are watching videos online when planning their trip? Are you ready to join the video revolution? Right now, Mondo Media Works has a special video package just for inside in-keeping listeners. It includes a two-day shoot at your property and three videos. Plus, you get to keep all the raw footage. Head to mondomediaworks.com slash insideinkeeping to learn more and get a 10% discount just for inside in-keeping listeners. That's mondomediaworks.com slash insideinkeeping. Welcome back to Inside Inkeeping. I'm Megan Smith. You know, we we both jumped in clearly with both feet with our spouses, mm-hmm. and and I have as actually recently attended a seminar by in partners for potential innkeepers, and listening to the couples talk about why they want to be innkeepers, and sort of dispelling some of the myths, but then also encouraging it because. For Greg and me, it was a wonderful experience. So when we arrived, our daughters were five and six, kindergarten and second grade, and we had a we bought a very busy inn, um, twenty one rooms with a restaurant that was open seven nights a week, and we had a staff of sixteen people, and we had weddings booked, and we had you know we had a a business so. We had a month before it reopened. It was closed for the spring. And we really spent a few years sorting it all out. Mm -hmm. And I think the advice that I can give to potential innkeepers, uh, once they jump in, and then I'd love to hear your advice, is figure out who's in charge of what. Mm -hmm. And 
my children have very funny memories about how Greg and I would, you know, something would come up, you know, is this in your, your side of the business or my side of the business? Who's going to make this decision? But I like to joke when he finally figured out I was in charge, that's when it all worked out. But that wasn't the case at all. It was just when we finally decided who was doing what. And it was also important to our staff, which I certainly want you to talk about your staff. Mm -hmm. We had the wonderful fortune of maintaining the chef that was there when we arrived and the head housekeeper when we arrived. And they both stayed with us the entire 13 years. Mm -hmm. And waitresses came and went, sous chefs, housekeepers, but, you know, our leaders stayed. And eventually we had a full-time assistant innkeeper as our kids were growing up. And so there was a lot of who's in charge of what, but really defining that was what our staff loved. And we came out of management and we came out of training. So to us, it was sort of second nature. But even though we had that background there were some real bumps along the way, as mm-hmm. I'm sure you can imagine. So did you model yours off the McGee's? No. That was the funniest thing. Because um, now that, remember, the three years that we were there with them, we were working within their model. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, you all have strengths. Brian is a numbers guy. He just flat out is. Okay. So he totally is all about that, the bill paying, the accounting, and all of those things. He also took a very uh, quick shine to anything dining room related, which was Maureen's gig. Okay. Yes. And then the housekeeping, the guest services, and the marketing, and all that stuff naturally came my way. And so we sorted it out almost like we kind of knew where our interests were before we had to really go and do. Um, Like we could tell which ones we were attached to. Brian was Mm -hmm. working with any dining issue with Maureen in that, you know, in that scene and stuff like that. And the marketing was everything just kind of flushed out. And then when it all became us doing it, we were on board with this. We had a few things we had to jiggle around and the staff kind of went with it. It was it was really fine. We too had uh, all of our staff stayed. There was no break in in the staff thing. But over time, you know, people do leave and they come and they go. Um the chef stayed on with us for a while. Mm-hmm. Yep, we have in, we have new ones now, but back then, our head housekeeper who was um she was a housekeeper then, she's still with me now. And so she's seen us go through all those things. But uh yeah, you do flush it out, but based on your interests and what you do best, instead of what you don't give away what you don't want to do. That's because I've seen that happen too. It's like, God, I hate bill paying here. You do it. Right. You know, that's not always the best way to go. Um, but, and then the decisions are pretty much made collectively. Mm-hmm. So, um, except for the small ones, you know, Brian doesn't care when I order towels. Yeah, you know what I mean, and when I need those things, mm-hmm. but the bigger things, the real business-related things, the expense conversations are done collectively. Yeah, we but, used to say that there was this really slow uh, chair at Killington. It took twenty minutes to get to the top, and Greg and I would always call that our board board of directors meeting. Mm-hmm. It was a double chair; it was yeah. only the two of us, yeah. and we would ski that run several times until our board meeting was over. But that's where we, you know, we talked through those decisions, certainly the financial decisions you have to make together. Mm -hmm. But I'll say that one of the things that was frustrating for me was Greg was, you know, a physical plant. 
he loved repairing, he loved painting, he loved doing those things, but I would pick everything out, but I was at his mercy. It was like, okay, honey, the couch is here, you know, the wall needs to be painted, and getting him to prioritize my work was a frustration when Mm -hmm. we first started, because he was a numbers guy, he was all about projecting and figuring out how to save money, cut costs, so that's another thing that's hard is I need you to do my work. So you need to prioritize my work. And that was a hard thing for us to figure out. Mm -hmm. But then another, you know, really hard thing was the school bus would pull up at three 30 and the kids would run up the driveway. And fortunately they were two girls. They shared a room. They got along famously, but you know, they want to go see their friends. They want to go participate in dance class and all that. So that was another thing we had to work through. Our whole restaurant staff walked in the door at four o'clock. We opened at 530. You know, one of us has to be on, ready to be the restaurant manager tonight. It can't always be me. I was in charge of the restaurant, but so if he was covering the restaurant, you know, sometimes the staff would sort of take advantage and they sort of played us together against each other you know mom's not here so Mm -hmm. let's see what we can get to get away with with dad so we went through a lot of that and as we hired an assistant innkeeper full-time they would cover the restaurant two nights a week Mm -hmm. and then it was you know the staff dealing with that so that was always really interesting for us as well and you know we all got along it was just staff will be staff so that that whole raising of the children was a challenge, but it was so wonderful. They would come running up. I mean, it was kind of like you'd think of in the Bob Newhart show. They'd come running up the driveway, they'd burst through the front door, and there'd be in-guests sitting around the living room having the afternoon cookies and cider and lemonade in the summer, and our girls would walk in. And at certain ages, our girls would sit down and chat up with the guests, and at other days, you know, they'd walk straight through and go right back to the apartment. I don't want any part of this. So... You know, we're going to do a separate podcast about raising children in in the end. But that was a funny way to live for them at first. And then, it, you know, they stayed. We stayed there until they went to college. So certainly they evolved. But with your so with your staff, how did you feel about staff? Was it a challenging situation? Did you enjoy managing? Do you enjoy managing people? We always enjoyed managing people when it went well. Mm-hmm. That's easy. Um, when you have a snag, then that becomes a heartache. You know, if, um, someone that you thought was, you know, in the fold and all of a sudden, you know, they show that they're not in the fold, it's a little jarring to us and to the fellow staff folks and things like that. We have a very tight group. We've had as many as 42 people on staff. We're about 28 to 30 now. Um, but it really is a family environment Mm -hmm. and, um, some say maybe that's not so great, you know, to have that tightness that, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? It works for us. It's who we are as people. It's the chemistry of the inn, and they are part of that chemistry. So um, managing people can be uh, really, I'll say it's, it's easy until, like you say, you get a ripple, mm-hmm. and then it gets hard. So do you find when... Uh, will a staff member come to you to let you know that there's a problem, or do you have to usually figure it out yourself. It can be either way. If we observe something, um, then we need to 
sit that person down and say, you know, we've spent a couple of weeks and we kind of been noticing this or noticing that. What's the deal with you? You know, is everything okay? Or you try to find ways to figure out what the problem is. Or somebody will march in and say that there's something wrong with somebody because clearly, you know, this isn't working out over here and that kind of a thing. Most of those are people who probably haven't been here as long as the others. Mm -hmm. And sometimes our staff has very high expectations of the other staff people. Yes. You know, and it's hard because maybe that person's new. Maybe that person is not so embedded into the fiber of the end like they are. You know, so they might get a little frustrated um, because they're like, well, let's deal the with standards. That. They're not yeah. adhering to the standards exactly. that the other employees have exactly. been so, delivering. Yep. It's like, you know, we're not a shortcut kind of place. And, you know, this one over here is kind of falling by the wayside. And yeah, I think that's, I, well, I think in any business, managing your staff is a, is a challenge. Mm-hmm. And, a, and that's another subject I would love to do a podcast on. But I think as if we're speaking now to the potential innkeeper, any experience you can get managing people or any workshop you can take or exposure you can get to managing people before you mm-hmm. arrive at your inn is, I think, never a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Because I'm, I think you and I both agree it is the most challenging part of innkeeping. And then you know, also guests, and that's a whole nother conversation. Guests, you know, you have wonderful guests and, and you're what it's why you do it. And then you get that one difficult guest and it just takes everything out of you because it's unexpected, number one. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to get into specifics, but do you feel just so that people have an idea when they're thinking about owning an inn, how many what percentage would you say of guests do you have to really work hard with? Really, I two percent, one percent. I mean, That's I can't. What I, would even, say I, too. I don't even know where to go with that because it's so far and few between. I agree. Um, but let me tell you, if you get one in a year, you remember that one mm-hmm. for a while. It does take the wind out of your sail for a little bit because you're not conditioned. For, to deal with those things or have that conversation. So, but when it happens so few, you you know. You deal with it that one time. Yes. And you always remember that people come with their own stuff, mm-hmm. you know? So if they're unhappy, they probably came unhappy, and they probably are unhappy for a bunch of reasons, and you can't always turn that around. Yes. Um, you can tend to their comforts and make them know that they were cared for and tended to either physically with whatever they needed, but you can't, you can't bring them, you can't put joy in them if they're not going to let you do it. Um, and so you have to let that go. You have to realize that maybe it wasn't you. You we always think it's us though, because it's a very personal business. It's yes. a very personal business. And of course you want everyone to love you and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? It's not really about us. It's about how they feel when they're with you. Yes. And that is a, means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Yes. So, and I, one of, my husband gave me some really good advice one day because I really took it personally when people mm-hmm. were unhappy. And we, our inn did not have televisions or telephones in the rooms. We don't either. And some people would, that would really, they'd get there late at night, maybe after we were in bed for a late check and they'd show up at breakfast and be miserable because they couldn't watch ESPN before they went to sleep. And so I was the frontline person in the morning. My husband was back in the kitchen. He cooked breakfast. And I would be so upset. Oh, they're unhappy. 
And I work with them. And finally, he said something to me, which I always remembered. He said, Megan, if they're, you don't want to focus on the people that are unhappy. You want to focus on the people that are happy. And he said, some people you're never going to turn around. Mm -hmm. But by the time they get back from skiing for the day and they have their cookies and cider and they have their wonderful meal, if tomorrow morning they're still unhappy, then we've just got to decide. They're not It's not a match. It's not a match, this property. But I would just really take things personally. And I think that never stopped. Mm -hmm. And I... If TripAdvisor had been around when I was an innkeeper, I probably wouldn't have survived it because I just really, I take those things so to heart. So tell me a little bit about how you all deal with your, because when the internet happened, so did TripAdvisor. It did, and you became, (laughs) you realized that you now lived in, um, you lived under a microscope kind of because everything was there and people will say whatever. And we've been very blessed with TripAdvisor, but we certainly have conversations with fellow innkeepers where they're constantly trying to figure out how to manage it. And what are they going to do about this one? And they going we haven't been in that situation, but you know what? There may come a day, Mm -hmm. right? There may come a day, but we haven't had it yet, but it makes you realize that you live in a world of perfection. This is, I call it the Disney effect. When people come, they expect that magical, perfect, nothing can possibly blip out, even if it's a power outage or whatever it is, nothing. I mean, everything needs to be perfect the way they read and read and read and read about it. Mm -hmm. You have to deliver that. The expectation is higher. It's a little pressure there. Yes, there is. There is pressure there. You know, I remember us asking people for feedback first and Mm -hmm. people were, couldn't, you know, they only give you the gushing good feedback. That's right. And then email well, became... then you put the comment cards. Oh, comment cards, Remember the yes. comment cards? Oh, Is there anything right. that we could have done to make your visit any better? Yes. You know, that kind of a thing. And so maybe you got a little something there, but they would. But it's easier for them to go home and just put it there when you never had the opportunity to yes. even address it because they never told you yes. that their jacuzzi tub jets didn't work. Exactly. You know? Yeah, so, so. That's, that's another thing that I think people coming into the business need to really be ready for. And I think everybody has become that way in everyday life, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, this, everybody's, everything's commented upon now and mm-hmm. rated. So, but I think, you know, it's something for people to be prepared for, read the reviews of the inn that they're looking at buying and talk to the innkeepers about those issues. Because a lot of times by the time you're buying an inn, the people are tired and maybe not putting 100% in, and if they were, those issues wouldn't be there. And you know, as a new energetic innkeeper, Mm -hmm. you're going to address those things right off the bat. And how you respond. Yeah. You know, how you respond. First of all, it's hard. You have to swallow a little, you know, to say, thank you so much for sharing. Even if you know that what happened probably was not your fault at all and whatever. Um, you and do have to swallow for, a little. A they ask for a refund or they ask for a discount. And sometimes you just have to say, okay, yep. you didn't get the value you were looking for. And I want to accommodate that. And that, and I'm sure, you know, Greg was a numbers guy. Greg did not like that. Um, he felt like we were upfront with what people expected. He thought our website was very accurate. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, I always felt like you got to make know, them whole, you got to make them whole. And if yeah. that's a monetary issue, that's what it is. Yeah. And it'll pay off because they aren't going to go home 
and say that place was a ripoff. They're going to say, wow, I got my money's they worth. They took care of me. They took care of me. Yep. At the, end of the, at the end of the day, they took care of me. Yeah. So that matters. So I just really want to say thank you for coming, Leslie. The Rabbit Hill Inn is, you know, the iconic inn of the state of Vermont. And I think it's so fitting that I'm having you here for my very first podcast. And we go back a lot of years. We've both um, been successful in the business. And I think we both came at it from very different vantage points. And that's, I think, the message we want to give potential innkeepers. It's not a cookie cutter business. And I guess I'd just like you to share a last few words. Well, first of all, thank you so much for letting me be part of this. And hey, this is my first podcast, too. (laughs) And I think that just doing this is of such value. This wasn't around. This kind Mm -hmm. of venue of information from real people who live this wasn't around back in the day. And so there's so much value to be had here. Um, It is good to be able to share and you could go on. Innkeepers can go on. But, I mean, the more you pay attention to it, the more things you could share. And if... Um, Promise me you'll fun, come back. I think, we could, I think we could do this like a bunch because mm-hmm. there's just a lot of parts of life that happen while you're doing the innkeeping thing. It's so much more than just a business. It really is... A, I know it sounds so cliche. It's a lifestyle. I get it. But it's your whole life. It's your home. It's your work. It's your social life. It's everything. It's one big ball of wax, and there's no separating it. Exactly. And so to live in that bubble is an amazing opportunity, but it's a choice, and it's a, you have to make it carefully. You well, do. I'm going to have you come back, and we're going to talk about all the other topics hmm. that come to mind. The good thing about innkeepers is they always share. Yes. They always share. They share their failures, and it's, it's a great opportunity to... Uh, to tap into that. There's and that's what knowledge. we're going to do with this podcast series. Do it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Megan. You've been listening to Inside Inkeeping, hosted by Megan Smith. Our show is produced by Katherine Hayes and Luke Stafford in partnership with InPartners, Mondo MediaWorks, and Megan Smith Consulting. You can find Inside Inkeeping on iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe or stay in touch at InsideInKeeping.com. Thanks for listening. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to own and operate your very own inn or bed and breakfast? Well, inn partners can help make that dream into a reality. In our seminar for future innkeepers, we cover everything you need to help you get started, from the basics of business operations to finances and more. Register for a seminar today at innpartners.com slash attend a seminar. That's innpartners.com slash attend a seminar. And let your dreams begin.